welcome to the Red Dove. I'm Liz. I'm Blue. I'm Rainy. I know, Rainy, you wanted to uh, lead a discussion about the COVID vaccine. First off, I think I think everybody in the world, I know we have some listeners that aren't from America, but I'm pretty sure every, we, we got the baseline. We know what the COVID vaccine is. And here in America, it's been rolling out across the country. So, so Rainy, thank you for joining us. And um, please, the, the floor is yours. Thank you for having me. And thank you for, you know, allowing allowing me to open up the red dub to this conversation. Um, yeah, I think I've been watching a lot on the news, you know, being an educator and this idea of taking these vaccines and, you know, something that I've noticed a lot, I feel like the liberal left is really honing in on like, get these vaccines, get these vaccines, get these vaccines, they're so important. And I started hearing a lot of people talk about like, well, you know, people not getting these vaccines are being selfish and this like this and, and, you know, comparing people who are hesitant to getting the vaccine to anti-vaxxers. And in particular, you know, I read an article that I had, you know, I think sent to you, Liz, about um, populations of black Americans who are not getting this vaccine and who are very, very hesitant. And I was like, I don't think it's about anti-vaxxing, you know? So I think there needs to be a very real discussion about the very real fears of the vaccine with the black community. I was, um, the last time I, I, I was at uh, the black hair salon that I go to, I've gone there, there for three years now. And I took my son to get his hair cut the other day. And, you know, we were there and everybody had masks on and stuff. And, you know, I've known these people for a long time. I, I enjoy it there. And, um, you know, they always come in, they always ask about me being an educator and, you know, the, the lady who owns the store, she's like, you know, so they're going to make you do this, huh? And I was like, I mean, probably, I'm probably going to have to get this vaccine taken if I want to keep working. And she was like, see, that's why I'm glad I don't work somewhere where I have to. She's like, they're not going to put that shit in me, you know? And like, and there are a lot of people who echoed that statement in that shop, you know, older black man was getting his hair done. He was like, Nah, they're not going to experiment on us. No, you know, they started talking about how when they first were doing the trials, you know, there had been something, I think, with Bill Gates saying, well, let's do the trials in, you know, some poor countries in Africa, you know, and Mm. they started talking about that. They're like, yeah, no, they experiment on us all the time, you know, and then they they get it wrong on us so they can get it right on the rich white people. And Mm. you know, and I was listening to this and I was like, there is a very real, real fear of the repercussions of this vaccine. And it doesn't, it's not just because of, well, we don't know how it's made and it feels like it was made quickly, you know, cause my sister, she is a biology major and she understands intimately how this stuff is made. And, you know, even though it feels like it was a long time, usually when you have vaccines, you d- the problem is money and people volunteering for trials. Mm. With COVID and with it being worldwide, that wasn't an issue. They had enough money, they had enough people trying, and then you had all of these different governments sharing information. So it was able to get done faster than usual. So those factors weren't an issue, but you know, on the outside, it does look very scary. Mm-hmm. But also, you also have to think that, especially with Black Americans, Black Americans have had a very, very, very contentious history with the medical community. And we continue to have a contentious 
relationship with the medical community. I mean, I was looking at a study that how many black Americans don't have a regular primary care physician that they see on the regular, you know, it's just, I'll go to the doctor if something's falling off of my body, you know, if I am profusely bleeding, otherwise I don't need to go. And I think that America and the medical community has not done enough um, thinking about these very real feelings. And a lot of that stems from the fact that the medical community has experimented on black bodies for a very long time and has not cared about black bodies. I mean, the fact that it's 2021 and we are supposedly a first world country and the mortality rate for black women and childbirth is so high compared to white women in the very same country, that tells you everything you need to know that mm. how can there be a disparity where women are dying in childbirth when it should be a pretty, I wouldn't say routine, but it shouldn't, we shouldn't be dying at the rates of third world countries in a first world country. You know, there is a woman out here in, I think it was LA, um, you know, she was a doctor and she went in to give birth and she didn't feel good. And she kept saying something's wrong. And she told her husband, her husband tried to tell the doctor something's wrong. And they didn't check her for 12 hours after she mm. kept saying, they said, it's just, this is just what happens. You're overreacting. She was bleeding out. She yeah. was hemorrhaging and wow. she died. A doctor, she was a doctor and she died. They didn't wow. listen to her. And that happens all the time. All the time where black women are not believed right. about their issues, you know, so the childbirth rate or, you know, mortality after giving birth, you know, there's a woman, I think in the Midwest somewhere who had COVID I, and, and they sent her home after she had given birth and, and she died on her couch. Wow. Mm. You know, and this is, this happened in 2020, you know, this right. wasn't 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. This is still happening right now. And we're hearing these news in it. And you're like, okay, so what happens if I get this vaccine and I'm saying something's wrong and no one listens to me? Right. Right. I would rather take my chances than have this, right. I, you know, and, and I don't think that you can blame the black community, especially the older population. Um, there was the Tuskegee syphilis trials right. that went on, you know, and for the listeners who, who don't know what that was, that was, um, they did experiments on black men in Tuskegee um, who had syphilis and they told them that they were treating them for syphilis. In fact, they were giving them placebos. They weren't treating them at all. They were actually, the experiment was to see what syphilis would do to the body. So mm. these men left and they gave the syphilis to their wives and their girlfriends. And, you know, this STD that was running rampant when the community, the medical community lied to these men and they think that they are getting help and they are not. And they're wow. using black bodies as experiments. And they shut that study down in 1970 or 1971. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it was like, oh, the 1800. No, right. my mom was alive when that, I mean, you know, she wasn't a part of the experiment, but right. my mother was alive when that was happening. My father right. was alive when that was happening. And then it took, you know, somebody blowing the whistle, be like, this is really, really unethical. Right. But Wow. You know, the fact that people can look at black bodies and continue to do those things or how much information we have on medical stuff because of black bodies, you know, Henrietta Lacks, um, the, the father of, I think, anesthesiology, um, his name is something Sims, let me, um, 
I forgot his name. I wrote it down somewhere. Um, but he basically, he was, I'll, I'll think of his name in a minute, but he was the guy who, you know, he's considered the father of modern medicine and he did all these great strides for medicine, but you know how he found out a lot of his information? How? He, he experimented on black slave women. Wow. He had the racist notion that Africans didn't feel pain. Oh, I do remember hearing about that years ago. Yeah. So let me see. Because I remember, wasn't there like, there's some sort of studies that even discuss like black people having a higher pain level tolerance than like Mm -hmm. people of other um, race. And I'm like, to me, sometimes, I mean, I guess you can pull data from anywhere, but what exactly does that mean? Like, how do you find that data to then, like, just, that's why I say, just say what you're going to, if you're a, a disgusting, evil person like that, then own that. Do not try to say, oh, they can't feel it. Huh? No, I mean, it's just to make the people feel less squeamish about his experiments. Yes. I found his name is, um, he's called the father of modern gynecology. But he, and I will put the link in, it's history.com. So he's created as a father of modern gynecology. Um, His name was James Marion Sims, and he developed pioneering tools and surgical techniques related to women's reproductive health. In 1876, he was named the president of the American Medical Association, the AMA. And in 1880, he became the president of the American Gynecological Society, the organization he helped found. But his research was conducted on enslaved black women without anesthesia, medical ethicistics, and historians say his use of enslaved bodies as medical test subjects fall into a long ethically bereft history that includes the Tuskegee syphilis experiment and Henrietta Lacks. It's along those lines. So he practiced medicine um, he, again, he practiced medicine on women giving birth. Wow. Cutting open into them without anesthesia to see how the body works, because he said they can't feel it. And defenders of him say, well, you know, he was a man of his time, but that nope, there's some things that just mm-hmm. go beyond that. And that's, it, it's evil. Yes. And, you know, to see people defending what he did and be like, well, you know, in the name of science, okay, then how can you expect Black people nowadays to feel comfortable when you can defend that? You can find a reason to defend what he did to bodies. And you're like, well, you're not going to defend what some other doctor does to my body and say, well, it was in the name of science. You know, I can see people like, well, I don't give a shit about science. I don't give a shit about you having, you know, a nice shiny plaque on your name because you discovered something on my body. And now I don't, my kids don't have a mother because you want, you know, to do whatever it is. And then what recourse do we have if something goes wrong? Who's going to believe us? So, um, and, and that's just something that I've just really, it's been on my heart a lot lately and, you know, I understand it. I understand the fear. And I don't think that America has done a good enough job with, I mean, we already know it hasn't done a a good enough job with 
making amends for the horrific things that's done to black Americans. But I mean, so many people don't even know these stories, right? People only know Sims as the father of modern gynecology. They don't put that other title next to him, a torturer. And Rainey, like you're saying, they don't know these stories, but they had their own experiences, you know? And that's another part of it too, because unfortunately, as you're saying, these things are still happening real time. So, you know, there are many people that, I mean, my my mind was blown when I found through, um, you know, just following some of the information regarding studies at Temple University with how people of color who were going to dermatologists were receiving incorrect um, diagnoses because there wasn't enough study, there wasn't enough information on our skin to really diagnose it properly. And I was like, wow, you know, because we're so dependent that at times we don't even ask what if. So you're right, when it when the what if happens, it's still valid. It still should be respected. And it's it's challenging because you're right in that like it's an independent um decision that I don't think requires like a title of anti-mask per se. I think it's we're moving in a quick time, like with a lot of changes constantly. And people are adapting to those changes in the best ways that they can. I think that the vaccine is a challenge too, because sometimes it feels like it's inevitable, but in the inevitability of it, people have to develop a comfortability with it. So that has to be given, information has to be provided. It's a challenge. It's a challenge because when, when you really think like the things you're discussing, there's absolutely no reason that anybody should go get a shot when you think about it like that. You get what I'm saying? Like period, for anything. So that's where too, it, there's, it becomes a teeter because we all grab a Tylenol and then we shoot those, take some water and go about our day. We don't, you know, so I don't know, but I definitely agree that that needs to be considered. It's a conversation to be had, but there are fortunate parts of it as well that we are a part of the process. So hopefully within um, these things being evaluated, assessed and um, created, and then prayerfully like through the testing, um, it being done safely rather than extorting or continuing to extort a specific population. It's nice to see that there are black faces that are contributing to the research and the outcomes that are happening. I mean, like I'm super proud. There's so many, even just um, seeing so many people of color that are being celebrated for their, um, you know, works in chemistry and, you know, physics and all these things. So it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see. I mean, I just found out about um, Dr. Maynard, I believe Marie Maynard, I need to get her full name, but she is the first black woman to have received her doctorate in physics, I believe. And it's only been since 1947. That's when she mm. received it. And I believe it was from maybe Cornell. Let me look it up. 
So it's still like a new, like you're saying all these things being considered. Yes, Dr. Marie Maynard Daly. These are new conversations for us as a people, specifically in this country, being a part and, and, and sharing the information um, and also delivering the information in a way in which people can be receptive, right? Because sometimes too, you know, there are things that are good for a person, but just because you're like, eat the apple, I said, eat the apple. Right. Nobody's going to be like, okay, thanks. Give me the apple. No, you know, so what is the delivery? What is, where is the information coming from? And, you know, we're just going to, I guess that's the whole point of representation and continuing to be a part of the process so we can further lessen or attempt to continue to lessen that problematic nature within medicine. I was thinking more of the historical nature of like America and medicine, America and science, even the history, even it being 40 years removed from today as what I thought was the hesitancy. And now I'm, I've learned that it's not, the hesitancy isn't just in how the questions surrounding how the vaccine was manufactured. The hesitancy is the going ons right now. What, for example, what if I became sick and had to go to the hospital? Will I make it out of there alive? For that to be a hesitancy is not something I focused on as much as the history, which to me, the history is enough to be hesitant. Yeah. But I'm, but thank you, Rainy, because I didn't focus on that at all. Or if I did, it was very little. That makes so much sense. Do I, if it's more likely I'm going to die seeking medical care than catching the COVID, I'm going to try not to catch the COVID. That makes so much sense. Right. Right. So where do you, where did, where do, does America go from here? So I, I'm sorry, I have to jump in. First of all, I have to correct something. Dr. Uh, Marie Maynard Daly was actually the first African-American woman in the U.S. to earn her PhD in chemistry from Columbia in 1947. Nice. So I want to correctly associate her credentials with her name. Thank you. But then also, I think that when you think about history and you know people of color and you think about people from other parts of the globe taking medicine is not always a go-to anyway so that's another part of it right like the cultural aspect I remember um speaking with someone who I was close with before and I was talking to her about PMS and she was telling me like in Colombia she's like that's not a thing you know like from where she was from in Colombia and in that moment, it occurred to me like that's the culture adds to that as well. So everyone is not just in, as inclined to take medication, period, let alone when you couple um, stories that are not stories. These are people's real lives, you know. So it's deep, but sorry. Yes. Where do we go from here? As you were saying, what do you think, Rainy? I think that it is going to take a lot of apologies and acknowledgement from the government. I mean, it, it is, again, these systems are so intertwined and they're so interwoven within our 
country and our democracy that, I mean, we really have to start picking it apart. You know, I mean, even thinking, even the war on drugs, right? And how they push that into black communities. They push these chemicals that are made in, you know, laboratories and then it devastated black communities. And then people said, it's your fault, you know? So you have all of these different things that are playing against why black people do not trust this, right? And you can't blame them for not trusting it. And you can't, the more, like you said, you yell, do it, just do it. And we're like, no, right? We have a history of white people telling us just do it and it doesn't end well for us ever. When has that ever ended well, right? They said, just do it. And we had our asses on ships and then just do it. And then we had our asses on plantations and then just do it. And then we had our asses in the middle of Jim Crow laws and, you know, on the backs of buses, like just do it doesn't work for us. So you have to, I think it's going to come a lot from the government to, again, make these apologies and then be very transparent, not just being like, well, I'm a doctor. So you have to, you know, I think more training with the medical community, you know, and I have a lot of friends who are in the medical community and they're fantastic and I love them dearly. But, you know, even like you were saying, um, Blue, um, how they were talking about, um, you know, them not having enough information on dermatology stuff because there's just not enough. There was um, this young, like 19 or 20 year old, uh, you know, doctoral candidate in London. And he realized that all of his textbooks when talking about like skin diseases or skin issues, they were all on white people. And so the doctors that were coming out couldn't recognize them on darker skin. So he illustrated, he made his own book to illustrate, this is what it looks like on darker skin because you're going to come up against this. And these people still need help, even if it's not recognized. And the fact that it was 2019 and no one had ever thought, maybe we should understand how this manifests in different, different skin tones, right? A bright red rash on a white person looks different than a rash on a black person. Right. And, you know, just knowing that that has never crossed anybody's mind to do something or talk about that. Again, I think it shows, you know, lack of understanding of the differences between, you know, black Americans or black people or people of color, you know, Mm -hmm. that we need more care. We need different care. You can't just, you know, put us all in one room and wrap a bow on us like this is how medical care works for everybody that's not true you know just like in education we understand that we have to differentiate things there's no such thing as standardize anything in education children come with their own baggage their own ways of learning their own ways of thinking why don't we understand that in the medical community too it's not a one-size-fits-all and I think that's where we start going from here it's having doctors take maybe more ethnic studies classes and understanding these nuances. So when they are in a room with, you know, maybe an older black gentleman who's like, hell no, I'm not getting this thing. They have the tools to be like, I understand why you might be nervous. You know, I understand. And here are the reasons why I, I, I feel like you might be nervous. And let me explain this to you rather than, well, they won't listen, right? Like taking that extra time to make somebody reassured, um, you know, cause I'm looking at this, this study and I'll post both of the links so you have them. Um, 
you know, black people as a share of COVID vaccinations cases, deaths in January, as of January 19th, 2021, um, the early state vaccination data warning flags for racial equity. So more black people are dying of COVID they're the vaccinations, you know, they're not going to the vaccinations, but they also don't have access to the vaccinations, mm. you know? And that's what you mean by equity, right? Like when you say the warning signs of equity, is that what you mean? Access? Yeah. Access. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Because, um, was it you Liz or somebody else sent me something and it was horrifying to see that they started putting, um, these vaccine drugs into poorer neighborhoods and rich. Yes. American. You sent that to me, right? Yeah. 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 Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, um, yeah, it was an article in the, I think that there was uh, also, I think that there was someone, I thought they were being rude to you, or I wasn't sure what was going on. And so, because you were, you were talking about COVID and the vaccine, I believe. And um, I just shared an article, it was from The Root, I believe Michael Harriet wrote it. And it was, it was talking about how um, even with like this COVID vaccine, like the equity is still a problem. And he's a brilliant writer. He's very funny in the way that he writes, really enjoy it. Um, but, and, I, and I don't have the article in front of me, so I'm not even going to try to paraphrase because it was a work of art how he constructed this phrase. But it basically was saying how like white people are still being white people for, with the COVID vaccine. Meaning to say that they're that they are taking opportunity from black or brown citizens in their community to get ahead of them. Specifically, there was reports that white people were going into um, what's defined. I'm using air quotes like lower socioeconomic communities, um, and white people were um, kind of like in an internet sense of the word, skipping the line. So people were having difficulties logging on to a computer system to sign up. And um, we could go on and on the nightmares, that, the struggles that people are dealing with just to, to get something that they're entitled to. And then um, people, more affluent people that were white were able to navigate the technology and sign on, reserve a spot. And so they were not supposed to be signing up at all. This was supposed to be designed for a very specific, quote unquote, lower socioeconomic community. And these white people that wanted this vaccine so bad, and they were just so huffy and upset that they had to wait. And like, there was, I had to wait a month, like, oh, but look, if I, if I sign up here, I mean, I'll be getting it tomorrow. And then they'd waltz in, walk ahead of the whole bunch of people in line, trying to just sign up because they had to go into the establishments to, for extra help for whatever, for a multitude of reasons. And then there's these white people just walking right in, getting their shot and leaving. And so it's, it's, it's so micro, but it's such a beautiful exam, such a disgusting, beautiful because it's just the art, the way that he wrote this, it painted the picture in my mind of what's going on on the global sense of the word of equity. So that was long-winded, but yeah, I just, it's sickening. It's even, even in this, we white people are still being racist as fuck. 
Yeah, I mean, it's let's gentrification of vaccinations at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. you're, you're going to come into these neighborhoods to get something out of these neighborhoods that you have nothing to do with. Yeah. And it's just, it's, 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 it's so disheartening to see, and especially, and, and the inequity of how the vaccination rollouts have happened has been absolutely mind boggling. I mean, I, I got my first dose and I was really fortunate because I have, because I'm privileged. There's a privilege to me that, you know, I have a job where, you know, they want us to go back into the schools quickly. So my boss is like, you can get one, go, right? We'll cover you, you know, just tell your students to, you know, read something online and go. So I have that luxury. I also had the luxury of having a friend who had a friend who runs a Planned Parenthood out here. And so she being in the medical community was able to sign me up. I gave her my information. And so she was able to sign me up and get me in. So she signed me up on a Tuesday. I had an appointment that Thursday. Nice. Immediately, right? And I was able to go and get one. And I did that because, you know, my mom is worried about it and my mom has lupus. And I don't know if my mom's going to get the vaccine or not because she's very worried about what's going to happen and if it's safe, you know? So I did it because I'm like, I can, if I can help protect my mother and I'm going to need, if they're going to push me back to going into the classroom and I'm going to be around, you know, 85 teenagers all day, I can't bring this home to my kids. I can't bring this home to my mom, but you know, when we talk about allyship and allyship being um, an, a verb, the, the lady who helped me, I'll always be grateful to her because she sent me a message. She's like, who else do you know who needs this? Boom. I can do this. So I sent three or four people to her. Like they're having a hard time with this. You know, some of the, the people at our old school that I worked at, I was like, you know, who were in assistant roles, who are people of color. I was like, can you get these people in? Absolutely. Give me their names. I just need, you know, she was like, I need their names and their birthdays and their address and this, that, and the other, send that information to me and I will make them appointments. And she did that. She was like, she used her privilege to get people in, you know, and I was able to help use my privilege of knowing these people and be like, Hey, I have somebody for you, you know, but also there's inequity of not everybody can just be like anytime. Right. Cause I didn't have a say in what time I got mine. Right. not everybody has that. You have people who work two and three jobs who cannot just go and take off to go to an appointment if that appointment is even on time, mm. right? Because people will go to these appointments and they have their slot. Two hours later, they are still waiting. And then they come back and they don't have a job anymore. Wow. So there's that in equal, that inequity. Um, at least here in California, in my county in particular, San Bernardino, the rollout has been atrocious you go through the whole sign up thing, right? And they ask you questions. It doesn't tell you what is available beforehand. It tells you after you've answered all of the questions and they're like, oh, we don't have anything for you. Wow. And it takes a long time. And so then you're like, you can try again, but you also have to go through this whole process again. Who has time to sit at a computer? Wow. All day to get that done. You know, not and I'm going to be mad in 10 years when you find out it was water and sugar. Right? Oh, <laughs> I did all of this for this. Are you right? <laughs> they stuck, and, you know, and then how do you get there? How do you get there? You know, I mean, they're not taking them into the local high schools and having 
clinic set up, you know, some people can't get to them. Some people don't have cars to get there, you know, and it's pretty much you get there. And then if you're not there, they give it, they release them because once the vaccines are out, you can't put them back in the freezer, Mm. you know? So they didn't think about how inequitable this was. And like I said, my County has been atrocious with it. People have been trying for weeks to get it. I had a friend who is a teacher and San Bernardino said, all right, teachers can come in. She stood in line for three hours with an appointment. And when she gets there, they said, well, we're not doing teachers. She's like, no, you are. It's on the county website. And they're like, well, not here. We're not doing teachers. What? Not out of her class early to go and just to be told no. And waited. And waited for three hours. and was like, what a waste of time. You know, and now can you imagine, you know, again, she is privileged enough to be a teacher and our school is really great about, yes, this is important and we are online so you can have your students do something else. And our population of parents are pretty lenient about that stuff too, because they really want us to come back too. But could you imagine that being a grocery store worker Mm -hmm. who I need my lunch break to go and then they come back three hours later, or, you know, an elderly person who they can't stay that late because the bus doesn't run that late to get back home. You know, so now you have all these people who are in these, you know, these dire situations and, and that's problematic. Right. So you know, not have... everybody... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying, you know, it, not everybody has the ability to just pick up and go whenever a vaccine is available. And, and, and it shouldn't, that shouldn't make or break somebody. That shouldn't be the reason why someone can't get vaccinated because they can't go at 2.15 in the afternoon on a Tuesday. That's not fair. You know, that that's not fair at all. And, or that they can't sit online all day waiting to try to get on, you know, or that they don't have reliable internet that's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about um, if this isn't a program, then, um, you know, getting involved in your local um, health community. What about door-to-door signups? Old school, remember, voter registration, old school method. Um, also, what about if you have privilege, like a car and the ability to drive? What about volunteering your time and maybe, again, if it isn't a program in your community already, uh, talking and working with these vaccine distribution centers, um, volunteering to pick people up and and then dropping them back off home. And, you know, that kind of thing. And that would also cut down on a bunch of people standing in line when there's a COVID, you know what I mean? Kind of like an Uber, like I'm just going to. So there's creative. So I don't. So there's some creative solutions but it's going to take the community, right? Because we're already in this capitalist, fucked up economic system. And we're talking about helping people today, tomorrow, next week. We're not talking about the 20 year game plan. I think that it's going to take, I think a good idea is to be active. And if you have the privilege, finding ways that, that you can sign people up 
finding ways to provide transportation that's going to look different no matter what your community is. And maybe you're fortunate and blessed and you have a community where this type of activity is already going on by a group. So instead of, you know, taking the shine off of them, how about contributing to their glow and, and working with that? That's, I don't, healthcare advocate, okay? God forbid, I'm metaphorically knocking on wood, but God forbid there is a problem with this vaccine. We're going to need people on the other end volunteering their time. Because again, we're in this country where there, this is not the infrastructure, right? Because this goes against the capitalist idea and what capitalism considers good versus evil. So it's up to us. You need to be uh, a volunteer and an advocate on the other end, God forbid, but people are going to need advocacy dealing with the healthcare system. They're going to need support just the same way, the kind of support that you can give at the beginning, getting them to the shot. Okay. Then we need to also be there for them. If God forbid something happens, because we're not talking about history. You already said this, you know, it's not 40 years ago. It's not even a year ago. It's last week. So I don't know. What do you think? What can we do to help? I think you hit on a bunch of stuff. That's perfect. Um, absolutely. I think if you are, if you are listening to this right now and you are a millennial or a Gen Zer, you are tech savvy. You are more tech savvy than anybody who was born a Gen Xer or even a baby boomer. Use your, use your technology, go sign people up. You can do it. If you can you know, be online at night and spend an hour or two getting lists of people and trying your best to get them in older people generations or people who don't have access to the stable internet like you do, use that time to get them in. You can do that. That doesn't, you know, that could be really helpful. Like you said, seeing if you can go and pick up people. Um, going to a lot of times there are wait lists in some of these clinics where, you know, they have too much, you know, people don't show up for their vaccines and they just give it to people at the end of the day. Go find out if there's somebody there and ask like, hey, if I have, if you, do you have a wait list I can put people on? You know, they did that in our area and there's a wait list. So at the end of the day, they'll make calls if you're on the wait list, like, hey, we have a vaccine for you if you can get down here in 30 minutes. Wow. And so- People will rush and get down there, but not everybody knows about that. So go and try to find, go find the, use your privilege and find somebody who doesn't have that privilege. Like we were talking about in, you know, so you want to talk about race, find where your privilege intersects with their underprivilegedness and then use that. So go sign them up, go make sure that they know about those things, you know, um, if you understand what the different county, you know, we in California, we have different tiers and they're color coordinated and it's a little complicated, right? So like half the people who are older, like, I don't know where we are. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, are we, are we purple tier? Are we, are we red? Is it rainbow? I don't know. You know, <laughs> yeah. right? what are we allowed to do? You know? Exactly. Use your time to go help with that. But Make- can I bring up a point? Yeah, please. I'm sorry. Millennials, Gen Zers, Gen Xers, Gen Yers, whoever you are, make sure that if you're doing any of this, you're somebody who washes your hands. Because don't be out in this situation reversing the whole situation. You're trying to help, but still don't come in and wash your hands. Really spreading the situation. Like, no, we don't need your help. 
if you're gonna be taking people back and forth and you ain't gonna spray no lights on your car, nope, do not sign up. If you're gonna be trying to go door to door and you don't like to wash your hands, nope, don't sign up because you are contributing to the problem. <laughs> Work remotely, please. Yes, yes, exactly. Like you know where your heart lies. If you can't commit to, and this is like real talk too, right? Because we have to know sometimes where we fall into the system. And a lot of people need to still, a lot of us still don't get the power of washing our hands. Wash, so be like, it's really that serious because if we're about to open things up, we're moving in this direction, wash your hands. We'll get to the other stuff when we get you back in schools. Because clearly there's a lot that needs to go on there too. But don't sign up to do anything out with anybody if you don't wash your hands. We don't need your part. All right? Like in that way. <laughs> in that way. Yes. Different ways. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Blue. That is absolutely, yes. 100%. If you, if you can't keep it hygienic, keep it at home. Right. <laughs> right. You have a good heart. We know it. And we are happy about it. But you can do yes. call somebody, just open the phone book and just start calling people. If they still have those, I guess you got to use your internet to go to the white pages. Yeah. <laughs> nobody should be sending a phone book right now either. No. <laughs> Energy. All these things. Ink. We don't have no time to be wasting stuff like that. So if you are getting a phone book right now, you need to be complaining to somebody that they're wasting way too much stuff. Shoot. Oh my God. Rainy, do we miss anything um, no. about COVID? The vaccine. No, I think we, we hit a lot of the stuff. I, like I said, I got mine and for anybody who is wondering about it, have, I've got mine. I, that needle is huge. Mm. It is. I I shouldn't have looked. So don't look. I, I immediately was like, Oh, Oh no. My voice went down a couple octaves. <laughs> when I looked at it, I was like, Oh my God. Oh. Lady's like, it won't be that bad. And I was like, that's what they always tell people like me. Like, <laughs> and then she stuck me and I barely felt it. So okay. then I felt like a little bitch. <laughs> mm. um, and, you know, people are having different reactions. So you should go in aware. Um, if you can possibly take it on a Friday or take the next day off. I didn't react badly the first time, but I've had people who, you know, they had the sweats and the chills and they felt kind of yucky or nause mm. nauseous for a day. Um, Pfizer seems to be doing that more so because it's kind of the really heavy hitter of the vaccines. I had the Moderna, which wasn't quite as bad. Right. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. Yeah. My arm was sore uh, for like a day or two, you know, and I was like, you know, it, it felt kind of hard to the touch and a little warm, but you know, like with any shots, um, and I go and get my next dose on March 13th, uh, which funny thing about March 13th is the day everything shut down. So that was the last day in 2020 that I saw my students it was March. Wow. And now I'm getting my finishing my vaccination, March 13th, 2021. Finishing your Pretty. sugar water. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's fine now, right? Right. And that is the problem, right? Like, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day because we don't know anyway. 
But I digress. I mean, we were wrapping up, so I'm not even going to go into that, like jump into that rabbit hole. But um, yes, we're going to celebrate that because things are coming to a close with this situation, even though we don't see it. I haven't seen like a street corner and I don't know how long with this daggone COVID situation. I'm like, is there anywhere to turn off this track? Where can I get out of this situation? Can I get out of this neighborhood? <laughs> the heck? Right? Yeah. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm excited, excuse me, to be rounding the end of this. Um, and you know, we're not gonna go back to normal. Not the normal that we know, but we shouldn't want that. We shouldn't aspire to that. We should always want to do better. Uh, this whole thing shined a light onto a lot of very problematic areas in our society. So I hope that we take this lesson and we're like, we can't go back to that. How can we be better now that we can be with each other again? How can we be more equitable? How can we make sure this stuff like this doesn't happen again? You know, if we have another sort of pandemic, that we can fix this way faster than we did, you know, believing in science and believing in w- helping your neighbors, washing your hands. You know, I've been watching people online talking about, oh, it's so funny, COVID is here and now people don't have the flu. I was like, oh, you mean because people are washing their hands and staying home when they're sick and wearing masks? Huh, interesting. Maybe that has something to do with us not having the flu as much anymore that, you know, we're just not gross. Right. Like, no, Rainy, think about it, man. <laughs> right. Hoax. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Wait, are no, masks forever, asking. though? What? Are masks forever now? You know, I'm going to, I think we should normalize using a mask if you're not feeling great. They do it in other countries. Right. And like, we always- you don't feel well or all the time? When you when you don't feel well. In fact, that the... the um, I, I don't recall the country, but I remember reading that in another country, they do it if they don't feel well. And it's not just for them, but it's out of respect for their fellow so, citizen. So in China, it'll Japan, never happen here. In China and Japan, they do that, right? Just like, I'm not feeling great. I still need to go to work, but I want to protect you. We should hey, normalize. We should change, huh? We should just normalize that, right? Like, you know, we, before we'd see people in a mask, we'd be like, oh, do they have the avian bird flu? They're like, what? no, I, or, right. or they are just being respectful. Let's make that a thing, right? Instead of hacking all over. I mean, honestly, Americans are damn nasty. Yes. Damn nasty. Coughing all over the place. Uh, having to teach grown ass adults to cough into your elbow instead of out into the shared atmosphere of everyone else. Like that is something that people just learned how to do last year. Mm. So- yeah, maybe if we could just stop being disgusting Americans for a little bit, I think that we would see a fall in the common cold and the flu, you know, like just say, hey, don't, don't put your hands in your mouth in public or around your face, wash your hands for 20 seconds, right. just a water rinse isn't cutting it. True. Like, I always social Oh, sorry, Blue. No, sorry. This rabbit hole is why don't we just not go out when we don't feel well? Because one, we're not missing anything. And because two, we actually matter and we need to make it apparent to the people that are our employers 
that that is like what is actually the foundation, right? Because I can't perform at my maximum rate anyway when I feel like this. So let's lessen the normalization that you expect me to be here when I'm in pain, right? Like so many people, I have someone that, um, you know, I was very close to that fell and got a blood clot in her leg and still was attempting to like go throughout her, um, you know, just daily routine and working and things like that and pass away a young woman, right? So like, we need to change the culture because it's also like the things that we're saying, I'm sure so many other people could say them from other places too around the globe. It's the culture that's the problem that we think, you know, we all have been in that position where it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, I went to work and I felt terrible. Okay, we need to not feel like we need to go to work and feel terrible. That's the main part. And also like the FOMO, you're sick, like stay inside, you know, but that also is just, that's the perspective, you know, that that's another level that we all have to get to um, and just slowing the pace down entirely, you know? That also plays into federal sick pay. Yeah. That's that we realize we don't have, right? You don't have no, you know, a lot of workers didn't have yeah. to that be luxury to be able to take off. So they hide yeah. the symptoms because they can't afford to not work for two weeks and not right. get, and there's no recourse for them. For right. That, you know, I mean, you can go on FMLA, but only if you have a disability that's covered by, you know, a disability act, being sick is not one of those. So right. what else can you do if you're like, I live paycheck to paycheck two weeks to go home to not spread COVID. I, I can't afford that. So that's also something we need to look into. Definitely. Universal, you know, healthcare, universal uh, paid sick leave. Yep. Stay home. You know, that's what they did in Canada. They paid everybody. We'll give you $2,000 a month. Stay the fuck home. Yep. And, and how are they doing up there? How is how's Canada? I think it's got to be lower than us. I didn't look it up. Canada's just, just doing better just always. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, just, yeah. I mean, they, they haven't had it. And, you know, they shut down their borders to us. Right? <laughs> Smart yeah. move. Right? I mean, like, we are the... T- I, I, we were the illegal immigrants trying to cross over and, you know, give them all of our gross diseases. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Americans don't even wash your hands. Please, no thank you. <laughs> Stay over there. I like huh, Justin Trudeau should have built a wall for us. Mexico should build a wall for us too. Like, just keep us, just contain the American plight, the American disease that is capitalism <laughs> and unhygienic issues. Like, we're, we're, I just, I just look at us compared to everywhere else in the world. And I'm just like, I'm so embarrassed. I have friends in like Norway and Spain. They're like, oh yeah, you know, everybody takes it seriously out here. And we, you know, care about each other. And I'm like, oh, there's a guy on a megaphone screaming about how his rights are being taken away and how right. he's not a sheep. Right. So we're doing great. Right. <laughs> right. They're doing fantastic. You know, Australia's doing their thing and like they were able to open it up in like, I think August yep. and they're living their best lives because they did what they had to. And they're like, I love it. People are like, well, see, look, Australia it can't have been a big thing because they, they're open. I was like, yeah, cause they did what they were supposed to. Like you can't jump to the end of the game without playing through the rest of it. Right. 
America. You, right. you don't get, you don't get the dessert until you eat your Brussels sprouts. Jesus. Right. Like, right. To like put America in the in a room by itself to reset, close the door, and then just walk like a kid, just like or a dog, like just walk away. Like I'm not dealing with this. I know, but I mean the way we are, they'll open the door back and just blood and gore everywhere. Like what happened to Mary? You were here by yourself. What did you do? <laughs> What, you've seen what happens when we're left to our own design. We we tried to take over, right? With there's an insurrection, right? Like we we when left to our own devices, we have Tiger King. We are not great. We I am so embarrassed of this country. Sometimes I'm just like, uh, why do we fight so hard for this bullshit? It's a lot. It's a lot. That's a, that's a great debate. There's so much right there. Do we go or do we stay? Right? right? Anybody who wants to be like, you're not a patriot, I will give you a quote from James Baldwin, which says, I love this country more than any other country in the world. And that is why I insist on the right to incessantly criticize her. Mm. Mm. Anybody come at me with that, fuck off. I love this country. That's why that's I can- a beautiful you. quote. Yeah, I mean, because it's true. I love it. That's why, you know, it's the same thing. We love our children. When our children act like little shitheads, we correct them, right? Right, we want better. We want them to be better. We want them to reach their full potential. We don't just allow them to keep doing the wrong thing. We correct them. We criticize, well, we don't criticize them exactly, but- You idiot. (laughs) She's like, we tear them down so that they are re- (laughs) the clay (laughs) that must be molded. God, right. you're five years old. Be better. Right. Right. But I mean, we understand that as parents, like, you know, this is not, this country is not great. It hasn't been great for all of us ever. Right. That doesn't mean that we don't have the potential. Right. But it, it's a lot of work. Like you said, it's a capitalistic society that cares more about making money than investing in its citizens. And a true mark of a great nation is a nation that wants to see all of its citizens do well, not the richest citizens do well because this country isn't made of just rich people it's made of everyone and if we're all doing well then the country does well right so we're there i'm going to criticize this country because i love this country i get it but i would move to canada because justin trudeau is hot as fuck (laughs) what'd you say i would move to canada justin trudeau is hot as fuck so (laughs) I would move to Canada too. They have really good sushi. Yeah, they do. Yeah, okay. it's so good. It tastes like they just put your hand in the ocean and then pull it out, start cutting it up. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I could go there today. Well, evidently I couldn't go there today, but in my mind, I guess I could. But they're Canadian. So before they put their hand in the ocean, they washed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Rainy, for stopping by. This has been Oh, through March 1st, we have a a fun giveaway. If you go on our Instagram, we're giving away for free. Anyone that emails us by March 1st, we will send you a shirt for free made by Mahogany Mommies. You can follow her on Instagram at Mahogany Mommies. And you go to our Instagram page, we put a picture of the shirt. It says, Black history is everyone's history. So email us at the Red Dove podcast at gmail.com now through march 1st and we will send you for free 
this awesome shirt made by Mahogany Mommies. Check out Mahogany Mommies for more creative shirt designs and apparel. Until next time. Thank you.